Isn't it brilliant? I think it's absolutely brilliant to see what, what God is doing and how he's speaking to our children, speaking through them, um, pictures they're getting, um, absolutely amazing. So let me, I'm not quite certain how it's going to go this morning, but um, I, I want to share sort of seven things or seven areas where I felt God has been working um, in us as a church through these 40 days. And I think it is good, isn't it, to review what's been going on. You know, if you've done something, sort of review how it's, how it's gone. Um, and then I just want to spend a little bit of time um, looking at one particular um, account or event that took place in the Old Testament. Because I think it has particular relevance for us as a church um, and where we are right at the moment. So we will rattle through fairly quickly, I think, and then we're going to come back and we're going to give ourselves to God in worship. And uh, we're going to exalt his name. So as we entered into this season, what, what was it that we were looking for? What was it that we hoped for? Well, myself and the team, we were, we were praying for four particular things. We were praying for um, an increased prayerfulness as a church, increased intimacy with the Holy Spirit, increased holiness and obedience, and an increased expectation for the Holy Spirit's work amongst us. Now, some of them, like intimacy, um, holiness, things like that, they're quite personal at some level. But I certainly know for myself, um, as I was pushing in over those 40 days, I know God um, meeting with me um, in that way. So what was it that we saw? Well, the first thing I, that really stands out to me that we saw was a real hunger within the church. It was as though when we pushed, we um, pushed the button and we sort of said, right, we're going to have this 40 days of hungering after God. What, what was remarkable was the hunger that we saw within you so quickly. How many of you were so keen to come and pray? How, how many of you were so keen to come and experience and freshly um, connect with God? Um, it was absolutely brilliant. The third thing that I noticed is this, that we saw an increase of God working with us in tangible ways. Let me, um, let me particularly highlight to you just some of the healings that we have seen over the last 40 days. There was a gentleman in the evening meeting, some of you may have heard this but I'm just going to tell it again because it's good to tell of what God has been doing. There was a gentleman in the evening meeting and he had bad knees. And Alid went to pray for him. And after praying for him, Alid said, so what's going on? And he said, nothing. So Alid thought, oh, that's a bit disappointing. I better pray again. So he prayed again for him. And again, he said, well, what is going on? And he said, nothing. And so Alid said, oh, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. And the guy said, no, no, nothing. There is no pain at all. It is completely gone and that God had completely healed him when he was prayed for which I think is absolutely brilliant there was um there was another lady um uh, I think it was on the second to last evening of those 40 days um and she was healed of back and shoulder pain there was another lady who was in the morning meeting and some of you may have been here when Sarah Burgess banged some pots and pans and some of you may have been a little bit freaked out by it, thinking, what on earth is going on here? Well, there was a lady here, when Sarah was going around bonging, bong, bong, banging pots and pans, um, the pain in her left arm just disappeared when it happened. Now, it came back during the week, and she thought, well, what shall I do? So she went to her cupboard, got pots and pans out of her cupboard, went around her house banging them, and sort of proclaiming the truth that she'd been proclaiming before, and the pain completely went. That's good, isn't it? Some healing's different thing. I mean, it's different. I'm not quite certain what box I'm going to put it in, 
But God is good, and God is a God who heals. Um, there was a guy that I prayed for who was, uh, we prayed that he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was healed of neck pain. And it was only when he got out in the car park that he realised he could turn his neck right the way round, and he was pain-free. This is good. There's another lady who responded to a word of knowledge. It was the fourth disc in her back, and uh, she, she'd been in pain for a long, long time. This one is up on the website. This testimony, she was prayed for and the pain went from a seven to a zero in a moment. And certainly over two weeks that followed it, no pain returned at all. Now, I haven't caught up with her recently to know, but a healing and an ongoing healing. I think this is good. I'm assuming what's happening is you're just processing it. It's just soaking in at the moment. There was another lady who had been suffering from nightmares. She was prayed for and the nightmares have stopped. That's good, isn't it? And I think as well, I need to check this out, but I think stomach and leg pain went as well, have gone since then. And then two evening meetings ago, um, there was a lady um, who had been suffering with pain for a number of months since the summer. And we prayed for her and joint pain and rashes um, uh, disappeared over the next two or three days and by what I understand again that's quite a miracle because um, the doctors were thinking this was quite a serious thing that she had and then when she went for tests at the doctors they said no it's not it's not what we feared it would be so what we have noticed going on over the last 40 days or so is God has been healing people God I, I, I want I want it to soak in. God has been healing people. And I know that we struggle just as much outside of church at times to believe that God can heal today. But he has been healing people. That is brilliant. That is wonderful. So we prayed, Lord, we want to see some tangible things, some tangible things you, you working when we gather. That would be one demonstration. We've also seen an increase in the prophetic as well. So even what, what Sarah was doing with the pots and pans and things like that was a prophetic demonstration. It was a prophetic action. And we've seen a number of different um, prophetic words um, over this um, season. We've had two from outside of Hastings, one by Livy Gibbs, um, who uh, is in the Greenwich Church, New Ground Greenwich Church. And then there was also the prophetic word by Angela Kem um, about the church. Now she read that out at the start of her preach. We've printed out a whole load of copies of that there on the information desk. I would love you for, to take them away and to pray into them. So we've seen an increase in the prophetic as well. The fourth thing I believe that's also been going on is that we have uh, dealt with some blockages that can exist in our lives as individuals. So I believe the Holy Spirit has been poured out. We are in the age of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes there can be blockages that exist in our lives that stop him flowing through us. So three of the blockages that we have been looking at um, and dealing with in some measure, one was disappointment when Natalie spoke about that, um, about halfway through the season. And then I spoke about fear and unbelief. Now, I don't think that they're, they're no longer problems at all, but I believe God did significant things in some of our lives on those Sunday mornings and I believe we need to continue to keep working and stepping out from it. The fifth thing I feel that certainly has happened for me but I think it's for more um, than just myself, it's for us as a church, is 
I have come to realise in a fresh way how blessed we are. We are a blessed community. We are rich in so many ways. I mean, I am a little bit slow and I know most of you are ahead of me on this. But we are so rich. You, you only have to read the Bible to realise how rich all Christians are. I wouldn't know it looking at your faces admittedly, but if in faith I close my eyes and believe, we are a rich, rich people. We have been baptised in the Holy Spirit. We have been given, according to Ephesians chapter 1, every spiritual blessing in Christ. I mean, if you just look at the cross and what has been achieved for us at the cross, there is no way you can count yourself as poor or a pauper or as though you are lacking anything. Let me read out again what I read in the worship. Yeah? Jesus has come. He has died for our sins. He has risen from the dead. Your guilt is removed. Your sin is forgiven. Your condemnation and punishment have been transferred to Christ. Your acquittal is sealed. Your reconciliation with God is accomplished. Your bondage to sin is broken. Your enemy has been put to naught. The sting of death has been removed. The destiny of hell has been averted. Eternal life has been given. The Lord has come. And that is true for every single one of you, whether you've been a Christian for 45 years or you gave your life to Jesus last week. All those things are true. You are rich. I am rich. Oh, how we need to know that more. Isn't that what Paul prays? Paul prays in Ephesians that that we would know um, the great power that raised Jesus from the dead at work in us. We are rich along with every other church in the town. But you know what else? We are also rich as a church. Thank you. I don't know. Well done, Rena. I like that. We are rich as a church. And I think there is a massive danger that we can fall into of thinking that every other church is richer than us. Now, I'm not talking about financial richness. I'm talking about spiritual blessing. I'm talking about the history we have got, the 43 years of amazing foundations that have been built into us, and the promises that God has got for us. I think sometimes we can look at the airbrushed portraits of other churches on the internet or on God TV and think, God, wouldn't it be incredible if we were them? To be quite honest, they are just the same as us. They've got all the same problems, they just, you don't show the bad bits. And I genuinely do believe, I, I believe we really do need to grab hold of this. We live in a town that has low self-esteem. We live in a town that believes nothing good can really happen. And if we're not careful, we take more of that culture into us than a God culture that we now have with our new DNA. We are a rich community of people. God has blessed us. And it isn't just what the Bible says, although what the Bible says is our foundation... 
When Julian and Katia Adams came to visit us a couple of years ago, some of you know who I'm talking about, they said we were an amazing church. When the Horsham guys came and visited us last autumn, they said we were an amazing church. When Angela came and visited us, she said, we are such a rich and blessed church. We have so much in our DNA. It's not, I'm not saying this to puff us up. I'm saying because I don't think we really believe it. And even now, if I'm totally honest, I feel like I'm battling against unbelief in the room. If I'm totally honest. But don't worry, I'll linger, I won't linger any longer. I'll move on a bit more and we'll come back to it in a minute. We'll come back to it in a minute. (laughs) The sixth thing, the sixth thing is I believe this is a real moment in God for us. One church, four venues, taking the gospel out to people who don't yet know about Jesus Christ. That God has called us for such a time as this to plant into Bexhill. God has called us at such a time as this to build a new expression of church into St. Leonard's. God has called us at such a time as this to replant in this 10am congregation. Why? Because we need to go again and again and again. God has called us to go again with the 6.30 meeting to replant it as a congregation because it is reaching a unique group of people that need to hear about Jesus Christ. And I believe the 40 days and everything that's been going on ties in so perfectly with the vision that we've been sharing with you over this term. This is a key moment for us. And you are key in this. And then lastly, number seven. And it's sort of linked to the last two. Oh, we need to grow our expectation in God for what he has got for us. We need to be bold and courageous. We need to use what we've been given, leading to a greater expectation of stepping out. Do you remember there was a prophetic word that came from Jeremy Simpkins? Some of you remember, some of you won't have a clue what I'm talking about. But it was a prophetic word saying, we are a church that unblocks wells. We are a church that digs new wells. And what it's talking about is we are a church that is full of the Holy Spirit and we flow out with the Holy Spirit. Do you know what? It's not something we're waiting to happen. It's who we are now. We are a church of unblocked wells. We are a church where the Holy Spirit is working and moving for us. Do do we want a bit more? Of course we do. But are we rich? Has God given to us? Yes, he has. He has. We don't need to wait for God to do something else. We need to step out in what he's given We don't need to wait for something else. We need to step out in what God has given. And I believe individually and corporately, we are standing on the edge of such opportunity to do things for God. I really believe that. Three years ago, and I know there's a lot of prophetic words that I'm weaving in here, but I think it's important because it brings faith. Three years ago in a prayer meeting, Dave... Holden brought us this prophetic word, and um, this is where I just want to sort of uh, land. I'm going to spend a little bit of time just around this. He said this, we need to shed a grasshopper mentality. It is not who we are. It can stop us taking the land that God has for us. Time of real growth is coming at Kings that will cause others to be surprised. We didn't think that group of people had it in them. 
How did kings do that? We will be successful and we will achieve breakthrough. That's what Dave said about three years ago. Now the context for this, this, um, uh, this grasshopper story, let me just give you a bit of background and then I just want to linger here for a little bit. Israel had been picked out by God. Promises given to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But their descendants got enslaved by the Egyptians and for 400 years they were slaves in Egypt. Cruel tyranny. But God delivered them. God had compassion on them and he sent Moses and he sent Aaron and then through ten massive plagues, Israel got set free. They, they left actually with their donkeys and camels loaded with the possessions and the riches of Egypt. That's what it says. They got to the Red Sea. What happened? God parted the Red Sea and Israel went through on dry ground. And yet when the Egyptians tried to follow, the waters covered over them and they were swallowed up. They were led through the desert. And God gave them the Ten Commandments and, uh, and, 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 and the, the Old Covenant in order that they might be organised as a nation, as a people. Twelve tribes living life together, understanding how should they should live together. And they were led to the edge of the Promised Land. And Moses said, twelve spies into the Promised Land. Ten spies came back with one report and two spies came back with another report. And this is what the ten spies said. Then the men who had gone up with them said, We are not able to go up against this people for they are stronger than we are. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers and so we seemed to them. The ten spies, they, 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 they explored the land, they came back, they gave the report. Two million people, that's how many Israel numbered at that point in time. And they said, we are like grasshoppers. We are like grasshoppers before them. Now, I guess if you saw a grasshopper of this size, it may scare you a little bit. But when I was in India and we came across cockroaches of that size, shall I tell you, Jeanette, can I have your shoe for a moment, please? What we used to do is we used to take our flip-flop off when we came across a cockroach. And what you'd do is you'd whack it on the head, but you'd have to hit it really, really hard to kill it. What they were saying, the ten spies, was, we're not men. We're not who God has called us to be. We're, we're just like grasshoppers. That was their perspective. That's how they viewed themselves. And we seemed like grasshoppers. They summed it up that, they, that what they thought was that they were... They, they, what they, how you'd sum it up is that they thought that the Canaanites, the people in the land, were strong, but that they were weak. They had no chance. How, how could grasshoppers take the promised land what's interesting though is that theirs was not the only perspective on what was going on at this point in time there were different perspectives as to what was going on and I just want to spend a few moments looking at these other three perspectives very very briefly so the ten spies thought that they were grasshoppers they thought they could not do it this is what the two spies thought 
Joshua and Caleb. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. A land flowing with milk and honey and he will, uh, and we, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land. Because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Joshua and Caleb saw the same giants. They saw him the sort, same the sort. Same the sort. <laughs> saw the same fortified cities. But their perspective was, God will give the land to us. We will devour them. Second perspective. What about the third perspective? Well, this is God's perspective of what's going on. And he had reiterated this on a number of occasions. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. Little by little. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you, throwing them into great confusion until they are destroyed. God's perspective? I will drive them out before you. I will give them to you. The same God who parted the Red Sea, sent the ten plagues, had freed them from a mini superpower of Egypt is the one who said, I'm going to give you this land. And what about the fourth perspective? Well, this is the Canaanites' perspective of what was going on at this point in time. This is Israel's enemies' perspective from one of their own. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and upon all the inhabitants of the and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you for we have heard of how the lord dried up the water of the red sea before you when you came out of egypt and what you did to the two kings of the amorites and as soon as we heard it our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you for the lord your god He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. How would you sum it up, the Canaanites? God has given you this land. And he is the real God. And we have no courage left to fight. And I reckon the Canaanites must have been absolutely amazed when two million Israelites turn up on their border, hang around for a few weeks... And then what appears to them is they turn around and they walk back into the desert and they don't see them again for 40 years. The Canaanites must have been absolutely amazed because they were living in complete fear. It says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. There were four different perspectives of what was going on at that point. The ten spies, the two spies, God, the Canaanites 
And Israel marched up to the edge of the promised land. Believed the wrong perspective. Turned around and walked back again. Forty years later, the Israelites returned. And they took the land just as Joshua, Caleb, God and the Canaanites thought they would. There were real battles, real casualties. There were mistakes, setbacks. And if I'm honest, I don't think they totally fulfilled God's plan until the time of David or Solomon hundreds of years later. But they took land, they proved God, and they glorified his name. It isn't an uncommon problem for God's people to see things wrongly. To have a wrong perspective of a situation. In actual fact, I wonder if God's perspectives, God's perspective and the Canaanites actually agreed. It was God's people who'd got it wrong. I believe through this 40 days we've been provoked to freshly see who God is. To freshly see ourselves as God sees us. To freshly believe what God says about us. And to follow him where he is leading us. To lift our heads to shed the grasshopper mentality because it isn't who we are. There was a phrase that Angela Kem used on a number of occasions that, that I can remember. We are an army mighty with banners. Some of you may remember us saying it. We are an army mighty with banners. When Joshua got to the edge of the promised land 40 years later, this was what he was instructed. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Why don't we stand? Can I ask the band to come back up as well, please? There was a prophetic word, a particular prophetic word that came during the season of 40 days. I just want to read it to you. I see a prison camp of barbed wire and fencing. The prisoner has been suffering, but now the gate is open and the prisoner has been set free. She knows she is free to go, but still sits inside, content with the familiar, unsure about stepping out. Outside, there are many experiences, adventures and joys awaiting, she does not have, but she does not have the confidence to go out. Jesus has removed the padlocks and chains. The gate is flung wide open. Step out. He will go with you. For freedom, Christ 
has set you free. Now, I believe that that is true for some as individuals, but really, I want to I bring the application to us as a people. She knows she is free to go, but still sits inside, content with the familiar, unsure about stepping out. Outside, there are many experiences, adventures, and joys awaiting but she does not have the confidence to go out. Jesus has removed the padlocks and chains. The gate is flung wide open. Step out. He will go with you. Lord, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you, Father, for the heritage that we have with you. But Lord, I don't believe this heritage is meant to be a ceiling but a platform for all you've got for us in the future. Lord, I pray where wrong thinking exists within our our minds, I pray, would you please expose it? I ask you, Lord God, when we are more aware of what we cannot do or where we are lacking rather than what we can do and what you have given us, I pray would you identify those lies that we can repent and turn away from them. I pray, Lord God, that this next season for us as a church will be a season of stepping out. I pray it will be a season of faith-filled adventures. I pray, Lord, that it will be a season of risk-taking. I pray it will be a season, even when mistakes happen and a lot are going to happen over the next few years, I prophesy it. But I pray, Lord, that we will have robust unity, that we will be one in heart, that we will love one another through the pain. Lord, I ask you, Lord God, that we will not judge the future by what has been achieved in the past, but you'll give us fresh faith to follow you. Lord, I thank you that we are not grasshoppers. That's not who we are. It's not who we are in you. It's not who we are as a people, but we are an army mighty with banners. That's who you've made us to be. It's who we are. Lord, I thank you we are not waiting for you to unblock wells for streams of living water to flow, but the wells are unblocked and the streams of living water do flow. Lord, I thank you for the healings. I thank you for salvations. I thank you for the work taking place among all generations in this church. Lord, we say thank you for it. Do it again and again and again and again. Lord, I pray, Lord, that what is is here would just be a remnant, just a small amount in comparison to the numbers that we'll gather in one church, four venues over the coming years. Lord, I ask you for a shining light in Bex Hill that calls men, women and children who do not know you to come and know you as Lord and Saviour. Lord, I pray for St. Leonard's that we plant in there. Lord, men and women will get called to come and know you. Disciples will be made. Addictions will be broken. Prejudice will be destroyed. As we gather together to glorify your name. Lord, I ask you for this congregation here. As we give away and we give away and we give away again in the future. Lord, I pray you will replenish us and bless us to overflowing. I pray we'd see hundreds come to know you. Lord, I pray for the evening meeting as Alid speaks this evening. Shares heart. Oh God, would you anoint him? Lord, I pray, Lord, soon coffee box would be too small for what you want to do.
I pray, Lord God, you will call men from all over Hastings to gather, to worship you, to glorify your name, to make disciples, to be set free. Lord God, come and bring this about, we ask in Jesus' name. We're going to uh, sing this song. I want you to proclaim it with all of your being. I want you to sing like an African. Yeah? Like Sam would sing. Yeah? Yeah? I want us to sing with all of our being. And you've got to sing in such a way that the person next to you is deafened. Very un-English. So take a deep breath into your lungs. Some of, you aren't, some of you aren't breathing. I can see you. You're about to pass out. You're looking all pasty. Breathe in. Right. We're going to sing with all of our being. And then we're going to declare some truth out together.